0: You are Jay talking. It's WBZ, Boston's news radio. We have a David Kirby with us, who is the author of a couple of books. One is called "Animal Factory: The Looming Threat of Industrial Pig, Dairy, and Poultry Farms to Humans and Environment," and another book called "When They Come for You: How Police and Government Are Trampling Our Liberties and How to Take Them Back." Those are two long titles. David, you really like the long titles.
1: <laughs> well, in nonfiction, you always have that little title and then that long uh, subtitle to explain what you're you're writing about. But, uh, you know, uh, I try not to be too wordy in my prose.
0: Now, we will start with Animal Factory, if that's okay. The looming, sure. The looming threat of uh, industrial pig, dairy, and poultry farms to humans and in the environment. Well, let's start with humans. Uh, recent public health crises raise urgent questions about how our animal-derived food is raised. Well, what you this is a a big big question with a big answer. You have plenty of time. How is the how are these farms harmful to our health?
1: They are harmful to our health in a number of different ways. And first of all, and what I wrote about in the book is, if you live anywhere downwind from one of these places, uh, you can physically get sick from the uh, pollution from the smell of forgive me, but feces and urine uh, drifting out of uh, waste lagoons and other storage facilities that these uh, factory farms use. (laughs) And uh, I met many, many people in North Carolina and the Midwest and out in Washington State who literally could not go out in their backyard during certain times of the day. And I, I smelled the smell myself, and it is nauseating, and it makes you sick. Uh, It can also make people sick by uh, contaminating the groundwater and the surface water. Uh, The high number of nitrates in in, in this sludge that that seeps out of these lagoons um, can cause things like diabetes and blue baby syndrome and other health problems. Uh, It can cause psychological problems, uh, just dealing with this uh, wretched odor all the time. And then on the wider public health uh, spectrum, uh, we are constantly seeing recalls of animal products, uh, salmonella in eggs, listeria, E. coli, and a lot of that has to do with the way these animals are raised in very unsanitary conditions.
0: So not only are they raised in unsanitary conditions, but aren't they given drugs to keep them from getting sick from their own filth that we then have to ingest?
1: A lot of them are, yes, um, especially pigs and chickens, because they are completely uh, crammed in and subject to a wide range of diseases. Antibiotics are not just given to pre- prevent disease. Now, uh, usually antibiotics are given to treat disease uh, once it has occurred. Uh, these factories give antibiotics as a prophylactic, as a preventative measure, Um but it also uh, oftentimes makes the animals grow faster, believe it or not. And it's just considered a very cost-effective measure by these facilities.
0: And these factory farms, can you describe some of the conditions the poor, the poor animals are, are tortured in?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty unspeakable. You know, my book really wasn't about animal welfare, although that obviously comes into play. And if you care about animals... Um, I think you will find it deeply upsetting. Um, I did visit some of these facilities. Uh, a, a few of them I was allowed to go inside, but they were very sort of ideal model facilities where uh, the industry you know, was uh, hoping that journalists would come and see that and write nice things about them. I think one night, it was probably the most disturbing thing I reported, although I, I did report a lot of <laughs> very disturbing stuff. I was staying on a farm, a small family farm in Illinois, southwest Illinois, and across the street, one of these facilities, they're called uh, confined animal feeding operations or concentrated animal feeding operations, CAFOs. There was a CAFO across the street, a pig CAFO. There were probably about 10,000 pigs um, crammed into that facility. And at night, the workers would turn off the lights and go home. So these animals were left to their own devices. And when they are crammed in like that, they fight and they bite each other and they scream and they cry. And this went on all night long. It sounded like a thousand babies being tortured. It was I will never forget that sound. And then also, um, I would say out in Washington State in Yakima Valley, where many, many massive mega dairies, <clears throat> excuse me, have moved in there. Uh, I was there in the winter, in the, in the rainy season, when these cows were just trudging through um, mud and their own feces covered up right up to their udders. I mean, you could see how filthy these animals were. And then in the summer, when it's hot and dry, they walk around and they ground up the dirt and they grind up their dried feces. I'm sorry to be so graphic but this is what these people have to live with all the time. And when the wind comes in, uh, it's like a a fecal fog, and people get manure flu, and I got manure flu. Just being a few miles away downwind from these places, breathing in, you could literally see the brown layer of pollution, air pollution, um, being kicked up by these cows. And I would come home back to New York where I live, sick like with a fever and i would open my suitcase and just that smell would come wafting out and uh it's it's really really unbearable
0: so how do we as consumers uh avoid that kind of thing i mean can you get milk and get eggs and get animal foods that are not from factory farms and how can you tell
1: uh, you can, and fortunately uh, those options are becoming more and more available. Even in regular commercial supermarkets where I live, I can get grass-fed beef. I can get organic eggs. I can get organic milk.
0: So organic means uh, that they were automatically uh, not factory farms. They're more...
1: Well, uh, <laughs> yes, unfortunately under the current administration and even under the Obama administration, the rules for what can and cannot be labeled organic have been relaxed, so it's not quite as stringent as it used to be. There is one label that I I really appreciate, you'll see it on dairy and egg products called Certified Humane. But even organic, that does mean that the animal spent at least a minimum amount of time, ranges I think between 30 and 50%, sometimes more of their day, um, out on pasture eating grass like they were meant um, by God, to do. Um, so you can search out these things. And, and you know, in a, in a place like Boston, and a place like New York, it, like I said, it's becoming more and more easy. There's, of course, you know, Whole Foods. Now, all of these products tend to cost more, uh, although the prices are coming down. I, 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 I also spend time upstate where there's a lot of uh, Hudson Valley grass fed uh, meat products. And they're they're starting to be a little more competitive than they used to be. Um, So you can seek them out. There's also farmer's markets, and there are things called CSAs, community-supported agriculture, where you basically contract with the farmer, pay a certain amount a month, and then you get delivered uh, X amount of of, uh, meat and dairy uh, that wasn't raised in these cramped, filthy, unhealthy conditions.
0: Now, the factory book, the animal factory book, uh, concentrates on three families. Can you... uh spend some detail on talking about the situations of the three families and how it relates to what we're talking about.
1: Uh, Sure, and I I chose these three because not only were they representative, but they represented people dealing with different types types of uh, animal uh, agriculture and different parts of the country. Um, I, I profiled a woman named Karen Hudson who lives outside Peoria, Illinois, And one of her neighbors who used to work for the Caterpillar tractor company decided he was going to quit and start a mega dairy with, I think he had several thousand uh, dairy cows. Uh, uh, The town, the community, Karen and her family urged him not to do it. He did it anyway. And his first year, it was extremely wet and rainy winter and his waste lagoon, these are like. 11 million gallons of water and feces and urine um, it overspilled. The, the the rain just kept coming and coming and coming and this uh, lagoon overtopped and it ran into the local river and it went into the Illinois River there was a giant uh, fish kill because of the algae and the lack of oxygen when when this happens and that uh, got Karen really started into being a, a very vocal activist against these facilities. Uh, Karen also happens to appear in my other book about constitutional rights, which maybe we'll get a chance to talk about. Then I profile Rick Dove, a very interesting man. He was a former Marine, a, a, a JAG, a judge, military judge in outside of town called Newburn in North Carolina. And that part of eastern North Carolina has just been invaded by Smithfield and other companies contracting with farmers. And there are literally hundreds of thousands of pigs being raised around his house. And he lives on a river. And one day this, uh, this parasite appeared and it started killing all the fish. And it actually made people sick. It made fishermen disoriented when they went out on the water. And Rick finally realized that it was all these giant pig farms and their lagoons that were uh, spilling out. And and Rick took me up in an airplane over the whole area, and we saw them, one after the other after the other. And what happens is (coughs) they they take this wastewater, and they have to do something with it. There's really no way to dispose of it. So they use it to irrigate crops, but what they basically grow— especially in that area, is hay. And the whole idea is just for the hay to absorb all the extra nutrients. And in fact, the hay is not even good for feeding animals anymore because it's so loaded with this stuff. And we went up at the plane and we we saw them out there with their spigot sprayers just spraying lagoon water on these fields, uh, saturating them to the point where you could see the water running off into nearby creeks and you could see the algae blooms in the creeks and you could see the um, yellow and purple and red colors. It was just, it was absolutely disgusting. And uh, the third person I, I, I uh, profiled, although there was also a fourth uh, in Maryland who was dealing with, she, she used to raise chickens for for Purdue. Um, but the other woman out in uh, Washington state with those conditions that I mentioned to you in Yakima Valley with the, the mud in the winter and the, the feces fog in the summer. Um, And all three of them organized. And interestingly, all three were um, not, not to be political, but originally conservative Republicans. And they ended up kind of (laughs) radical environmentalists in the end. Uh, They were not happy with Mr. Obama, trust me, but I think they're even more unhappy with Mr. Trump.
0: do um, <clears throat> did you encounter mental health problems with people at work in conditions that they observed animals being tortured like that and slaughtered endless amount of animals endlessly tortured? Does that cause mental health issues in humans? how How do they do it without?
1: Yeah, you know, breaking down mental. That's a great question. is It's not something that I researched. Um. I do know that conditions in slaughterhouses are horrendous, Uh, The workers are treated very poorly, they make very little money, they work under dangerous conditions, and they're constantly forced to just keep the assembly line going, if you will. Um, That's a great question. That that, that could almost be a book or an article in itself. What's the psychological impact of of, of working in one of these places? Um, Most of them are um, undocumented immigrants from Central America and Mexico. Uh, not to say that they don't have feelings about the animals, but um, that would be a very interesting uh, area to research.
0: Well, I'll be waiting for that book. What is what is the solution <laughs> to all this? It's it's obviously not sustainable. It's not good. It's very bad. Very bad. And very the sad. What do we do?
1: First, eat a lot less meat. Eat a lot less dairy. If you can, give it up altogether. I'm not a vegan. I do indulge. I like a good steak now and then, but I try to find a, a a grass-fed steak from a local farmer. Um the less you consume, the less you're contributing to this problem. The more you seek out sustainably raised uh animal products, the less you're contributing to this problem. And speak out, uh contact your representatives. There are factory farms in Massachusetts. They're, they're, they're everywhere now. Um, try to um, get the government to regulate these facilities and to enforce environmental regulations and to change environmental regulations so that they are more humane. And we have seen this happen with ballot initiatives. It's happened in California. It's happened in other states where the voters say, no, we don't want these... Uh, egg-laying hens in these tiny little cages. We don't want these nursing uh, pig mothers in these tiny little pig cages. And they've been outlawed. <clears throat> so that's a good thing. But I, I you know, I, 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 I'm not preachy, but eat less meat.
0: All right. That's- and now, it's a more recent book, When They Come For You. What you're going to do when they come for you. How police and government are trampling our liberties and how to take them back. All right. How are the police trampling our liberties and how do we take them back?
1: Yeah, it's not just the police. Uh, That's a big part of it. But uh, this happens at every level of government, from social workers in your local community up to people working in the White House. And it does happen uh, in red states and blue states and poor states and rich states. I mentioned with factory farming that Obama and Trump were were not that much better than each other. I would say the same is true here, uh, particularly in terms of surveillance um, of reporters, of protesters, of average Americans. But what I really try to focus on in my book is just ordinary Americans, not criminals, going about their daily lives when suddenly everything is upturned by overzealous, sometimes violent uh, uh, officials of the state. So I write about uh, warrantless raids of private homes, sort of SWAT-style militarized raids. I write about child protective services that can come into your house on an anonymous tip and take your kid away in the middle of the night, and you are going to fight like hell to get that kid back, even though you have done nothing wrong. I write about people who go to prison because they can't afford to pay their court fees and fines, or even alimony. Uh, I talk to men who went to jail, not because they wouldn't pay alimony, but the alimony was so outrageously high that they simply couldn't, and they were incarcerated for that. I write about civil asset forfeiture, where if you're even just suspected of committing a crime, the government can take away your cash, your car, your business, your home, um without even charging you with a crime and when you go to fight to try to get your property back your assets back you're not treated like a criminal defendant and that's a shame because criminal defendants have more rights in court than someone fighting a civil asset forfeiture because they are not a criminal defendant it is literally the united states of america versus five thousand dollars cash um I wrote a story that took place up in Tewksbury, Massachusetts. A a motel owner uh, had been in this family for 50 years. It was paid off. They had the equity and the feds came in. The local police came in and said, well, there were 15 drug arrests over, you know, this 30 year period or whatever it was that you've owned this place. So we think you're involved with truck uh, drug activity. And they seized his motel. Uh, He fought like hell to get it back, and he did, but uh, he was an innocent owner of that property. He had nothing to do with any illegal activity going on there. Uh, I write about uh, uh, violations of our First Amendment rights, uh, violations of free press rights. I write about police abuse, police shootings. I write about things like planting evidence against innocent defendants, uh, coercing confessions under, you know, duress in in jail, and even corrupt judges who were sending kids, juveniles, to jail on very, very trivial uh, charges. And it was later discovered that they were getting kickbacks from private prisons uh, for every convict. And we are talking about, you know, teenagers here, uh, they would get money. Uh, Those judges are now in prison themselves, and I hope it's not a private prison, and I hope it's not a nice prison, because all of this adds up to just a corruption of our democracy and a massive abuse of our constitutional rights. And unfortunately, I think people are not really fully aware of our constitutional rights. We, We all studied the Bill of Rights in high school, but you know, how many of us really know what the Sixth Amendment says? How many of us know what the Fifth Amendment says? It's much more than just, you don't have to testify against yourself in court. Fifth Amendment is actually one of the most important amendments because it guarantees due process under the law without which you cannot deprive anyone of life, liberty, or property. So I, I, you know, I, I tried to write the whole gamut. Um, these are real stories that happen to real people They're not isolated incidents. And unless we kind of wake up and and take a look around and see what's happening. And also, this is an issue that, you know, the, the, the far right is concerned about and the far left. I mean, who wants government intrusion unnecessarily into their lives? Yes, we want laws. Yes, we want enforcement of things that make our lives better. But we don't want police officers coming into our house and beating us up and arresting us without probable cause or even a warrant.
0: So how is it possible that they do these warrantless searches? Is, is that only, does that have to do with drugs or why is it allowed? Warrantless. No. Um, uh,
1: um, the, the, the first story I wrote about, it was a, a pretty affluent family outside of Washington, DC. Their son turned 21. So they had a party for him. The kids were downstairs. The parents and their friends were upstairs watching football. Pizza guy came, delivered the pizza, texted the cops, said, I think there's underage drinking there. And it resulted in a SWAT-style raid of this home, at least 12 police officers. Uh, They beat up, tased, and arrested the family members. And uh, their, their reputation in the community was ruined, and they were facing hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines, and years in prison. Now, as it turned out, the cops went into the backyard of their home without a warrant, and your backyard, as long as it is protected from public view, if you cannot see your backyard from the street, the police have no business going back there without a warrant. And that's what happened in this case, and it was dismissed because that's called fruit of the poison tree. Do, wouldn't and they the be evidence able to sue, sue the police department
0: for that?
1: In this particular case, they did not sue the police department. They decided not to. But people do, uh, and they, they win, because fortunately most judges, and particularly federal judges, federal uh, appellate court judges, are still sympathetic and are still concerned about defending the Bill of Rights and protecting individual citizens against this kind of abuse. But that's starting to change. We're, we're seeing um, federal judges of less uh, okay. quality, I would say, being appointed to the bench.
0: So this was not a legal thing that the police did. I was, <coughs> it, I, I was wondering if these searches were legal. Uh, this was not, it turns out, a legal search. And, that, of course, that doesn't save the victims of the illegal search are uh, the, the expense and the humiliation right that's the problem
1: yes and the emotional distress I mean people sue for emotional distress it's a legal term but it's a real thing I mean imagine you're, you're in your house you're enjoying your privacy of your house and the police break in and they tase you and they arrest you and you go to jail you know and your reputation is ruined Um, Who would not be emotionally stressed out by something like that, particularly when you have not committed a crime? So um, I think it's very important when this does happen for people to fight back, for people to file lawsuits against the government. Because what often happens is if they win, not only do they get some money, some compensation for what happened to them, but the judge will often issue an injunction in that jurisdiction, saying the police can no longer do this. Uh, You know, Child Protective Services can no longer do that. And if you're at the appellate level in the federal system, uh, a district court, maybe that includes like eight states, they set case law for those eight states. So the fact that someone brought suit against this abuse had a huge impact, at least in those eight states. So it's, it's really important to fight back.
0: All right, let's take a, if you have time, I hope you do a uh, quick break and talk a little bit more about this second and newest, I should say, the newest book, When They Come For You, How Police and Government Are Trampling Our Liberties and How to Take Them Back. It's WBZ. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
1: Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No process. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. website for details.
0: So the police or the government can come in and take your child away without any sort of probable cause, etc. How does that happen?
1: Yeah, that was the most disturbing thing I wrote about. I don't have children, but I can't imagine going through that it's one thing to take your cash your car to come in and beat you up to arrest you under false pretenses to lock you away but to come in and take your kid uh there's just no greater abuse than that and it happens all the time uh it happens uh every day uh the stories i profiled were were terrifying one one couple it, it took them four years to get their daughter back. Um, the woman's father had filed false edu- uh, allegations against her husband. Uh, and um, the Child Protective Services Agency was so gung ho on getting this girl out and keeping her out that they falsified records. They, they hid uh, uh, evidence that, that would have uh, uh, exonerated the parents. Uh, it was just a horrible situation. They did sue and they did win. Um, but four years, they got one and a half million dollars. I would rather have my daughter at home for four years than any amount of money. Uh, another story I wrote about, people in Boston are probably familiar with it. Uh, Justina Pelletier, I believe her name is pronounced. Uh, she was a patient with a mitochondrial disorder. She was a teenager uh, and she was being treated at Tufts. And one time she got sick and she happened to be admitted to Boston Children's Boston general, I guess it's called. And um, they decided that they wanted to keep her. They decided that her uh, condition was psychosomatic, psychological, that she wasn't physically ill. And they gave this custody, the state of Massachusetts, basically gave custody of this child to Boston General. And she was there for many, many months. Uh, It was very difficult for her parents to visit her. She finally got out, and they are suing the state of Massachusetts and the hospital. Uh, And and that particular case is is working its way through the courts. But it just goes to show you what power even doctors have, Uh, uh, hospitals, the Child Protective Services, and the state, to come between you and your child when you have done nothing wrong,
0: but they don't know Some you've done parents, nothing wrong. In that case, right? Wasn't, weren't they really trying to do what was best for the child?
1: Yes, and if there's worry that that child is in imminent danger, that child should be removed from their home. But they do it on the flimsiest of reports, anonymous tips. Um, the child broke their arm in December, and then broke their leg in May. Well, guess what? Kids break bones. That doesn't mean the parents inflicted harm on their children. And when they come in, they don't just take that child, they take all the children. So, you know, we need a better balance here, and we need more oversight. And and, and part of the problem is that they get, for every child they take away and put into adoption, or foster care, more money comes back into the system. So you have a direct cash incentive going on and you just have this. uh, This doesn't happen in every uh, uh, jurisdiction. There are wonderful social workers out there whose motivation is only to help children in need. But uh, from my research, uh, there are so many cases where the children were removed without cause, without proof. And ultimately, without any reason at all, their parents were innocent. Well,
0: hopefully, in again, the, hopefully in the book you just, tell us how to protect ourselves from that. This this kind of thing. I try, you know. I
1: mean, I, I do. And if if someone shows up at your door, you do not have to let them into your house unless they have a warrant. And a lot of people don't realize that they just open the door and the social worker comes in and starts rifling through the refrigerator and looking at the kids and pulling down their pants and looking at their toy chest and their blankie and, you know, they need a warrant to do that. You can refuse people from coming in your house. The problem is it only makes you look more guilty, right? So people get scared and they acquiesce. Uh, What they should probably do in that situation is call a lawyer.
0: Right. By the way, folks, it's good to find a lawyer ahead of time. Like everyone should kind of have a lawyer that they would call in a case of emergency. It's So you don't have to find one when you really need one. You should have a lawyer. You've talked to them. You trust them that you can call when you get in a jam. Right?
1: Yes. And, and probably one that knows criminal law and and civil rights law, uh, because, you know, most people get lawyers when they're in financial trouble, but, uh, these, are, you know, these are much more serious allegations. And if, they're coming after you for allegedly committing a crime, or if they've taken away your kid or your car, you need legal help. There are groups out there. You know, Certainly the ACLU uh, is a good place to start, but there's other groups. There's a wonderful organization called the Institute for Justice that work on these issues, that work particularly with uh, the uh, civil asset forfeiture problem. Uh, and then there are legal defense organizations, nonprofits out there, That will help you sue the government to get your rights uh, redressed if you will and then there are private lawyers that will take these cases on pro bono uh, on a contingency basis so you may have to give up a chunk of your award but you won't be paying out of pocket
0: anything else to add to the how to take them back portion of the book how to take your rights back
1: yes and it's up to us i mean i hear people talking about this all the time and Oh, I feel like the Constitution is being shredded and I feel like our rights are in danger, but people feel like there's nothing they can do. Here's what they can do they can do two things. They can pressure politicians and lawmakers. What are you doing specifically to address these abuses of our rights, whether at a candidate's forum, a, a debate, a town hall, or even in the halls of Congress or your local state house? And I think even more importantly is pressure the media. And I'm very disillusioned as a member of the media that this subject does not get the attention it deserves. It does here and there sporadically, and then it goes away and nobody does anything. And we need to hold the media accountable. And, and, and bless you, sir, for, for you know talking to me tonight, because um, it doesn't happen as often as it should. And particularly in an election year, particularly when we have political debates. We've had five Democratic debates already, I think. I've never heard a question about individual liberties or civil rights, Uh, have you? I mean, I don't hear the president talking about it. I don't hear the candidates talking about it. And I hear very, very few people on Capitol Hill talking about it. So it's up to us to demand that this subject be aired.
0: Thanks, David Kirby. And this book we're talking about right now is one you can get. It's called When They Come For You, How Police and Government Are Trampling Our Liberties and How to Take Them Back. It's David Kirby with a K-K-I-R-B-Y. And previous, Animal Factory, the looming threat of industrial pig, dairy, poultry farms to humans and the environment. Thank you. You're a wonderful guest. Appreciate it.
1: I do too. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Absolutely